you pray for our time in the Word? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege that we have to come together to open up your Word. To yes, hear from you, God. I do pray that you would strengthen Rob for all that you called him to today, God. For the message that you um, have given him, Father, to give to us, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you... Um, that you are faithful and that you're faithful in his life, God, that you would continue to strengthen him, God. Thank you for, Father, the good report, Lord, and we praise you for that, God. And I pray, Father, for those who are meeting or in secret all across this world today, God, I pray that you would protect them by the power of your name, Father, that many would come to know you, God. I pray for those that are uh, suffering persecution, Father, suffering violence, suffering of undeserved jailing, God, and for those that will lose their life, God, I pray that they would never deny you, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that um, you have given us these freedoms. I pray that we would never take them for granted, God, and that we would show, Father, that uh, we are worthy through the power of redemption, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us worship our God. Done. 
do thank you, Lord Jesus. Oh, Father, <coughs> your loving kindness that draws us to repentance. It's, Father, the understanding that you first loved us. That in and of ourselves, God, we wouldn't turn to you. The Holy Spirit, you've drawn us. And God, you are pleased to reveal yourself to us through your Son, Jesus. And for those who have called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and that are saved, Father, oh, the hope that we have and the gratitude that, that should be within us, Lord, to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His faithful love endures forever. As we look upon this upcoming week as a week of thanksgiving, it ought not just to be a week or a day. It should be every day. Father, it should be throughout the day, God, that we are offering up thanks to you, Lord. No matter our circumstances, Father, rather we are in a deep valley or we're at the top of a mountain, God, that we, Father, have a lifestyle of gratitude of giving you thanks. And so, Father, we too thank you for another opportunity to come, to sit at your feet, to, to hear your word, the living word, and the truth that can transform a life from darkness to light, that, God, you've given us yet another day, God, to know you, to love you, to serve you, to honor you. And ultimately, God, that our lives would bring glory to you. For it's all for you, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, good morning. Two definitions of community I've been holding up. The first one, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. Or feeling a fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. The Christian community, Christ, as I've been sharing with you over this past year, is in the center. He is the center. Everything is built off of Christ Jesus for the Christian community. There's so many other communities out there, but it's the Christian community. It's the Christian community that has the truth, and it's the truth in which we have that can set the captives free. And that truth is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life. Life anew. Not just when we get to heaven, but here and now. It's a life that has been born again. We're of a different nature now. We're no longer to live and feast off of who we were before Christ. No, we're learning now how to live as unto Christ. Remember, the Bible has encouraged us that we are to live as Jesus lived on this earth. The Bible tells us that as the Christian community, that we are not to live lives that are grieving the Holy Spirit, but that we're to be living lives that are in step with the Spirit. That if we walk habitually in the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. 
that we've recognized that we've taken the old man, the old woman, the old young girl, the old young boy, and we've nailed that nature to his cross. And from there, we are born again of a new nature to live for Christ. To know that we've been adopted, we've been engrafted into the kingdom of God. That we are now given the right to call him Daddy. You see, before Christ, each of us are born into this nature, and I keep sharing with us that we are enemies of God, that we are at war with the throne of God. And we have to truly recognize that in order to understand the greatness of the love of God. God loved us, yet though we were at war with Him, and He's made a way for us. Not for us to work hard, to to try to gain his love, and to try to gain his acceptance. No, no, no. Like he willingly gave himself for you, so that you could be restored back to him. You see, he's the creator, we're the created. We're the created. And in our nature that is in rebellion towards God... We long for the created things. And we've got to be able to recognize that, and as I've been sharing for over a year now, that we, and maybe two years, that we're behind enemy lines. Like everything out there in this temporal world is screaming at you to turn away from God and to turn to yourself. To turn away from God to turn to yourself and to feast off everything that you want, you need, you desire. It's about me, myself, and I. But that's not the nature that the Christian is to be living in. You see, again, there's a lot of people who are calling themselves Christian, and they're only Christian by name. (laughs) They're not a Christian by rebirth. And that's the true Christian, one who has been reborn of a new nature. Not just claiming the name and doing the works and lacking true obedience to Christ. Think about that. You could do all the works, you could do all the religious stuff, but that's not being obedient to Christ. Like truly following Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith, the call of a disciple to deny yourself, to pick up the cross and to follow him. This is the Christian community. This is what we are to encourage each other in. We're called to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up, to gather together, to worship our God, to have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, for more of Christ, that we are preparing for His return, that we're utilizing the gifts that He's given the Christian community to go out and serve the other communities in order to be able to open up a door to share the love of God with them, to see them come to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus, our Lord. But we already know 
that to some will be a fragrance of death and to others will be a fragrance of life. But we're living for Jesus, you all. At least that's what we ought to be doing. Our lives are no longer our own. See, we have the same characteristic, the same goals, the same attitudes. Like we're coming together and we're recognizing, wait a minute, this is bigger than a man or a woman. It's bigger than a a, a design of, of some religious activities. No, no, we're talking about the living God, the true and only living God who spoke and the earth was formed. Who breathed into a lifeless creation with his own breath and life came forth from a man to a man. This is God, you all. This is God. And the living God longs for you to know Him. Longs for you to be restored back to Him. To live for Him. It's just not knowledge. It's just not a knowledge of Him. But it's living for Him. As He's living in and through you. You can have all the knowledge of Christ and you have all the knowledge of his word and knowledge of all the works and it'll mount up to nothing if you don't have Christ. And I've told you all along what we have as the church has been doing, we've been doing wrong is that we're offering the kingdom of God to people without the king. Their understanding may be spiritual principles of the kingdom, but they don't know the king. They want of the kingdom, but they don't want the king. But those who are born again, oh, we desire our king. We desire to be in his presence. We desire to continue to grow and to mature, to know him more and more each day and every day, to honor him, to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our body, with all of our strength. To know Christ. To live for Christ. To worship Christ. This is the lifestyle of a believer. This is the community that Christ, Jesus, came for and is returning for throughout the earth. Not just in our nation, but in every nation. Every tribe and tongue would come to the saving knowledge of Christ and be restored to the Creator, God. God is love. And for so long, and I keep telling you, we've been lied to about God. Again, I can't stress it enough. Everything that's outside of the community of Christ, the Christian community, everything on the outside of it is screaming at you, turn from God. Deny Him. It's teaching you the opposite of truly who He is. And that's what I keep telling you, you can't learn from God or about, you can't learn about God from yourself, from the world system, or from this realm in which you cannot see, but is very active in trying to destroy you. No, you've learned about God from God. 
He is pleased to reveal himself to you each and every single day throughout your day if you would just turn to him. Like remember, he kept telling the people of Israel after he set them apart from all the other nations. He kept telling them, I am your God. Worship me. Don't look at the other nations. Don't desire and want what they have and how they worship. And yet the people of God then, they didn't look to him. They look elsewhere. And they said, well, they can do it that way. Why can't we? And it's no different than today. The organized church, she's losing her identity of who she's supposed to be. But the remnant church, the true church, the true people of Christ, they're not confused. They know who Christ is and who they are. But the organized church, they're looking elsewhere. And they're letting things in. But we're told it will happen. There are wolves dressed as sheep. The wheat and the tares, they're growing together. So your Christian walk is not based on how others are living it. Your Christian walk is based on Christ and His truth. And that is where community is formed. And where community will grow. When a group of people come together with the same purpose, the same mindset, to worship the God who has called them out. See, we're called out and we're brought in to the family of God. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Again, scriptures I've been sharing with you in hopes to encourage community. In hopes that you will long for Christ, long for fellowship with Christ, and long for fellowship with the community of Christ. And I've said to you, if over this past year, as much as you've heard about community, you have not grown grown for a desire for deeper intimacy with Christ and deeper intimacy with other Christians, something is wrong with your Christianity. And I would encourage you to get on your knees and to seek the Lord as to what it could be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. This makes for harmony among the members, so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And that's why I've encouraged you, you need to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. You are needed in the body of Christ. How God has specifically formed you, created you, and gifted you. You have been created, the Word of God says, for good works to be accomplished. Accomplished for the purpose of God and for His kingdom. Those good works can't come forth until you're surrendered to God. And when we're finally surrendered to God, we can be in harmony with God and with one another. And so that then, as the Word of God has just, I just read it, so that then all members care for each other. 
I told you the deepest need for every human being, no matter what age you are, no matter what gender you are, no matter what, what you, the greatest need for all of us is the need to belong, to feel loved, to be accepted. And we can't truly find the fulfillment of that need until we are in Christ. Because then we understand the value of Christ and the worth in Christ and how He designed us perfectly. Perfectly, He designed us. All things that He has created are good. And in Christ, there are no flaws. There is no confusion. He has purposed you and He has equipped you. And we're called to be together, to care for one another, to to do life with each other. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And it takes all of us to truly see the body of Christ function as it should in our city and upon the earth. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. The Word of God reads, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from the great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well, listen to this, to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? To speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever endeavor. Again, we hear this need and this understanding within the community of Christ to show deep love for each other, to connect with one another, to strip off the old nature that likes to hide, that doesn't want accountability, that wants to just keep giving in to everything and anything. No, you're not to live in darkness any longer. The Word of God says to drag everything out into the light so that you may live a full life, a new life in Christ. So many people got up today and they're attending quote-unquote church and what they're searching for is for their needs to be met. Make it about me, have it be on my time and the way that I like it. And how sad is that? Because it's not about them. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God. It's about coming collectively together. We're here for God. We're here to honor Jesus. We're we're here to love one another, to do life with one another, to experience the fullness of the transforming power of God in our lives. That's changing us daily. Grace, the transforming power of God that changes us. And yet what we do is we just make a mockery of it. And we ought ought not to be making a mockery of the grace of God. 
It transforms our life. It doesn't give us the right to remain enslaved to what's behind us. You're not to be carrying your old corpse around. You're to be carrying Christ. You're to be putting on Christ. You're to be living out Christ. You're to experience the fullness. You see, when I came to Christ, when Jesus revealed himself to me, as he does with each of us, I was so far from him. I wanted nothing to do with church. I wanted nothing to do with Christianity. I surely didn't want anything to do with Jesus. I hated him. I saw no power in the Christian faith. I was living for myself. Filled with darkness, serving idols. Doing all this brouhaha. Just living out everything and anything. And then Jesus steps in. Wow. You weren't even looking for Jesus when he stepped in. But he's been trying to step in each and every single day of your life since you took your first breath. Because remember, he formed you before you were placed in your mother's womb. You're not an accident. You belong. And your belonging is in Christ. And he's been pursuing you. But again, we're at war against him, so we're not looking for him. But listen, when you get the revelation, when, when finally your eyes are open and you go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Jesus? You know, my whole life I was told how much he hated me. And you've heard me share this with you over and over and over. Like, why would I want to even know a God that hates me. But see, even in that, I was being lied to and I was believing that lie. And that's why I kept telling you, you can't listen to the world tell you about God. You can't listen to your flesh make up excuses why you don't turn to Him. You can't listen and follow this realm up here that you cannot see. But again, I'll say it over and over. That's actively working against you and perverting the image of God to you so that you will not live for him. You see, once all of that force of darkness is moved and just a ray of light hits the depths of your soul, there's an awakening that takes place, even if it's for a moment there's an awakening, and you go, oh, wait a minute. But don't lose sight of that moment. Allow that light to continue to grow, because that's the Holy Spirit. That's God removing everything to get to the depths of your being, to reveal himself to you through his son, Jesus. Because you recognize, I am a sinner. How could you love me? I don't want to work for your love. And then he doesn't call us to work for his love. But unfortunately, there's a lot of people, good people, working for God's love. And I told you before, there's going to be a bunch of people in hell for eternity with Jesus on their mouth, but he's never been in their heart because they've been deceived. 
You see, the Bible tells us our, our war is not against flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air of the darkness. And most Christians don't even understand what that means. They don't know the level and the depths of warfare, of spiritual warfare. They're just led around, led around in shame, chains and shackles all along thinking that they're praising God. In reality, the God in which they're praising isn't God at all. And so we have to wake up to truth. God is pleased to reveal himself to us. And when God reveals himself to us, when the light of God shines to the depths of our soul and our being, there's an awakening. Listen, I didn't need someone to tell me to go to church. I didn't need someone to tell me be in church every time the door is open. I didn't need someone to tell me to worship God or how to worship God. I knew I needed to because I wanted to. Not to gain his approval because I've already gained Enough of him just because he revealed himself to me, which enticed me to hunger for him. Who is this God who would reach out into the depths of my chaos and my confusion and my sin and in my war against him? Who is this God that would step in and say, here I am. And I love you. Stop running from me. Come to me. And this this life in which we've created Christianity to be, it is a lie from the pit of hell. As if the pit of hell has been lying since he slithered in to the garden and made Eve doubt God. Which then Adam doubted God. And then God had to step in and reveal his plan of the cross, of redemption, to be redeemed. You see, apart from Christ, you're guilty. You're a sinner. You're an enemy to the throne of God. And it's not because God's a bad God. No, we're just bad people. (laughs) But in the midst of that, God steps in and says, I love you, daughter. I love you, son. Come with me. I've made a way for you. I made a way for you to live. Truly what life is. To know the essence of life. And the giver of life. It changes your life. It changes your life. The desire that began in me was nothing I could create. It's nothing you could create. But God begins it. God begins it. And I didn't need someone to give me a list of rules of do's and don'ts. I mean, right away I began to know, wait a minute. I don't. This is... This that I'm serving here is a lesser power. <laughs> this and what I'm giving myself to is just fulfilling a, a temporal need. But really, for eternity, if I was created for eternity, then how am I to live? Oh, I need to, I need to hunger and thirst for you, Lord. I want that water that you speak of, that if I drink from it, I'll never thirst again. I want to know you intimately. Because if you created me, then you know the innermost parts of me. 
So I want to know you. And I won't, know, I won't know the fullness of him until I'm with him. I won't be perfected until I'm with him. But listen, I'm, I refuse to settle any longer for what's behind me or for the temporalness that is presented to me before me. Because why would I exchange what I have from him for what's being offered to me to please myself? Oh no, there is freedom, you all, in Christ. He who the Son's son sets free is free indeed. And in that freedom, he brings you into the community, to the body of Christ, so that then you could go forth and to tell others about the love of God, the transforming power of God. Listen, if your Christianity isn't transforming your life, you're not a Christian. I can't keep saying that enough. And you say, well, that's rude. Well, that's what it is. The gospel offends. I think it's rude that you're trying to live out a Christianity that has no power. I mean, even the Bible tells us who to stay away from. It's not the lost. It's those who are parading around pretending to be Christians. And in reality, there's nothing in their life. It's the same vicious cycle over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the Bible says, have nothing to do with one who just holds a form of religion, but denies the power of God to transform them. You see, the blood of Christ, it's effective. It cleanses you. Do you understand? Listen, do you understand? And I've said this a few weeks ago. Do you understand that the guilt of your sin has, if you're truly a Christian, has been been removed? Do you understand the level of freedom that brings your chaotic mind? I know what it's like to have chaotic thoughts and the confusion and the distortion and just all of the emptiness and I just long to be. No, but do you understand when you come to Christ and the power of Christ to transform your life and the freedom that you have in Christ, this newness that comes forth to live, man, and to walk not guilty any longer. You see, before Christ, you're guilty. And you deserve the wrath of God. And for an eternity, you will be in hell, separated from God, tormented, over and over and over and over, for eternity. It's never going to stop. And we want to play a Christian, Christian games. This is, a, this is serious, you all. We're talking about people's eternity. But when you really come to Christ, when that guilt has been removed, and you realize it's nothing of me, but it's all of you, because the guilt that was upon me was placed upon him, and the punishment he took was my punishment, but he took it willingly. Because he longs for us to be restored to him. But yeah, we're going to live out in community. We're going to live this Christianity out hum-bum and drummed. You have no joy in it. Everything's mastering you. No one sees anything in you. So I'm telling you, when I, look, when I used to look at Christians, I didn't see anything. 
My little stones, my little crystals, my little aura, all this other stuff seem to have greater power than that. But oh, true Christians, no, their lives are forever marked and changed. They are sealed. You understand that term? Sealed until the day of redemption by the Holy Spirit of God. If you're truly a Christian, you have received God Himself in you. The Holy Spirit of God. To radically transform your life. And we're making a mockery of Him. But we better realize, keep playing games. Keep the pretending going on. Because in the end, you have to stand before him and give an account. To give an account. But see, as Christians, when we stand before them on that day, our account has already been filled. He doesn't see us. He'll see Christ. He'll see the provision that Christ made through the cross. And then we will hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. You see, there's hope, there's freedom, you all. There's joy in the midst of all of this. That we can rejoice, rejoice, rejoice to know our God, to love our God, to worship our God, to honor our God, to trust in our God. You see, Christianity is not burdensome. There's no burdensome. Religion is burdensome. Religion holds you down and keeps screaming at you, you're no good. True Christianity says, hey, you're no good, but here's one who is. (laughs) And he longs for you to know him. He longs for you to know him as your strong tower. Your mighty fortress, your deliverer, your provider, your healer, your God, your salvation. And oh, when you know him, you'll come into a community and you'll begin just to openly just begin to share with people. Just to give and to keep giving. You'll hold no records of wrong. You just live a different way. Because you understand the grace and the freedom, the salvation that has been extended to you. Go to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Again, scriptures you've heard throughout the year. To encourage you to be part of the Christian community. Your Christian life was not meant to be alone, to live to be lived alone. And it surely is not called for you just to live with people who are just following a bunch of rules and laws. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 through 12. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Some of us just need to put aside our pride and be humbled in order to receive help from others. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. 
Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Acts chapter 2. The final scripture on community. Acts chapter 2. The birth of the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. The believers form a community. Again, I I can't say this enough. Do you understand that these are people in this generation that we're reading, the generation since then, the generation now, and the generations until Christ returns. There are so many different people from all walks of life coming to Jesus. And now they're coming together. They have never lived together before. They have never existed together before. And now they're existing together. They still have their old thoughts, their old ways. Everything is still trying because remember the flesh and the spirit, they're warring against each other. That's why you want to feed the spirit and not keep feeding your flesh. You want victory in your Christian walk, then allow the grace that's being extended to you for you to transform you, to give you the power to transform me by changing the way you think. You say, no, I'm no longer this way. This is the way. This is the way, and I don't care how hard or how my flesh wants to scream or what other, other obstacle comes at me, The work in which God has began in me will never stop. And so I am pursuing him with everything that I have. So you have all these people coming together and the word of God is being preached to them. The Holy Spirit's falling upon them. Lives are being transformed. You got prostitutes. You got murderers. You got old religious people. You've got this this liar. You got that backstabber. You got this gossiper. You got all these different lifestyles from all these different tribes and nationalities. They're all coming to Jesus. That is their purpose. This is who they are now. And so they form this community. And the outside is looking in, going, what the heck is going on with all those people? They're strange. They're not like us. We don't even want nothing to do with them. And why don't they want anything to do with us? Because your very existence irritates them. Because just you living, just your presence reminds them that they're guilty before God. They are guilty before God. And that sickens them. So they would rather see us dead than to see us live in our freedom in Christ. So the community of believers, they gather And they're strengthened when they're persecuted. Because our walk in our life now is by faith. It's not by sight. Our walk now in our life now is a spiritual life. It's not a a natural life. It's a spiritual life. And listen to what the Word of God says about this, about community. All the believers devoted. 
They weren't half-hearted. They weren't in one day and out the next. Love Jesus this moment, but I don't love him the next moment. (laughs) They weren't giving themselves over to anything. They were devoted. They had a sincere devotion to the teachings of the apostles and to fellowship and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All of the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals, listen to this, with great joy and generosity. And all the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. This is the community. This is the church upon the earth. Doing the will of the Father. Recognizing that it's no longer anything they used to identify with. But no, they identify with Christ now. They identify with Christ now. And people will look at you like you're crazy. But it's okay. As long as it's a genuine conversion. And your life is being turned upside down. And pointing you in a different direction by the power of the Holy Spirit, then so be it. Let them think you're crazy. Relationships may have to break away. Desires, wants, needs will soon fall to the side because you're no longer living for yourself. You're no longer trying to build your kingdom on an earth that is passing away. No, your eyes now are set on what's before you. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the presence of God. Not only here, but to be in his presence, in his kingdom forever, for eternity, never ending. No more tears, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain. (laughs) This is what we look forward to. This is the hope that we have, and no one can take that from you. No no one in no circumstance. No doctor's report. No, no, No loss of income. No nothing, 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 nothing can take that away from you. The security that you have in Christ, the confidence that you have to walk upright in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, not to be tainted by the world, not to allow it to attach itself to you, but just to walk upright in it and go forth to love. To love. How did Jesus live when he was on this earth? He loved. He served. He rebuked. And even when he rebuked, even when he got stern with the religious people, he did it out of love. Ultimately, first love for the Father. And then love for the created that's at war with him. He conquered evil through love. And oh, we better perk up and listen, you all. Because we're purposed for this generation. You weren't an accident. 
You are purposed for this generation to conquer evil by doing what is good and by loving first God with all your being and then loving others. This is the community. This is the Christian community. I started two weeks ago laying out some theological words, words that we as Christians ought to know the definition of these major theological terms. This week's word is faith. And then again, you're going to receive the notes. You should sit down with the notes. You should go through the scriptures. You should meditate upon them. You should ask the Holy Spirit for application. You see, there has to be application to what you're hearing or you're never going to grow. I mean, when you look at the, you look at the Gospels, and especially when Jesus told the parable of the sower, sows the seed on all these different types of ground, and then he explains to the disciple that the seed is the word. But depending on the condition of one's heart, it could be choked out, it could be snatched out, or it could be of good soil, and that seed will take root and produce life-giving power in one's life. See, I don't know how you prepare yourself when you come in to fellowship, or even if you sit down and have your own time of, 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 of devotion. Oh, you should take a moment and realize the breadth of, of, and, and the width of everything, of that this is the living God. And you love me? God, I, I need your insight, your, your power, your understanding, your guidance before I just open up and just start trying in myself to understand. No, this is a spirit-filled walk. So, Holy Spirit, lead me, guide me. I need wisdom, I need understanding, I need application. How is this truth going to impact my life for today? And when we understand these terms, we have a better depth of understanding of who he is and who we are and what he's accomplished for us. So this term, faith, is so easily just thrown out. But do you really understand what it means? And here's the biblical understanding of faith. Faith is the gift of God that enables you, enables us to believe what he says. To trust him with our lives. And I love this. And to live upon his word. Under, hear that again. Faith is a gift of God that enables you, that empowers you to believe what he says. To trust him with our lives, and then live upon His Word. You see, His Word is life-giving. You need to be in the Word of God. Not because it's a religious work. <laughs> because everything else you're feasting out there is not going to grow you spiritually in Christ. The Word of God will. <laughs> it is your new identity. It is the living word of God. I've also began to share with you scriptures that summarize what God must do for a sinner 
in order to make him or her a Christian. So I have three scriptures for you this week. Because again, you need to see what the Word of God says. These are scriptures I started two weeks ago. And we'll continue until we're finished with this portion. To get you to the understanding that you sit down with the Word of God and you pray through it, you meditate upon it, you ask the Holy Spirit for insight and wisdom and application, and you said, this is what you've done for me. It's not about what I did for you and what I do and this and that and making it about you. No, no, your Christian life, remember, is all about Jesus. He's already accomplished what he has intended for you. It's done. You, by faith, this free gift, need to believe it and need to begin to live it. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to gain understanding of His Word. So these are scriptures that summarize what God has already done for a sinner to make him or her a Christian. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verses 18 through 19. Then we're going to skip 20 and read 21. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18 is where we're starting again. These scriptures summarize what God has already done for a sinner in order for them to become a Christian. Verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Listen to this. Remember the guilt I talked about earlier? No longer continuing, I'm sorry, no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 21. For God made Christ, who? Christ, who never sinned to be the offering of for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Not through works, but through Christ. And listen, I cannot stress this enough. You've got to know the Word of God. The enemy knows it. Demons know it. They tremble at it. The world systems know it. And they pervert it. Because that world system is governed by this realm. In which you cannot see. But the Bible very is very descriptive of it. Did you hear what was just read? Do you see the condition of what's attacking the church today? And as I said earlier. The organized church. She doesn't know her identity. The remnant church, those who are truly in Christ, oh, they're grounded. Listen to this truth from the Word of God. This is what God has already accomplished for sinners 
in order for them to become Christians. All of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. It's all through Christ. It's through the cross. It's through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who then was laid in the tomb and then rose from the dead three days later, conquering sin and death. He has taken and stripped sin and death of its power. It is not to have hold over the people of God. And the church should be excited about that. Like when you realize you've been transitioned from darkness to light, not because of anything you've done, but all because of what Christ done, that your guilt was placed upon him. And now we are, and we're told it will happen in the last days. And as the wickedness and the evil keeps growing at an alarming rate until Christ returns, we're told that false gospels will be rising up. We're going to be bombarded every which way, every which way, every which way. And those who truly aren't in Christ will be swept away with it. And that's why I'm passionate to share the word of God with you. Not my opinion, not man's opinion, but the word of God. Did you hear what the word of God just said there? That alone you can take and you can hold it up against everything that's out there telling you that God's okay for you to keep bound in sin. Live however you want. God loves you. We're all children of God. And I keep telling you, I keep telling you that if you hear people say that, well, God loves me. That's a great door open for you to tell them the truth about God's love. The truth is, God does love us. He loves everyone. But God's love doesn't save you. Them testifying alone, God loves me, is an open door for you to share, hey, that's revealed to you because God does love you. But he wants you to go further with that. Because God's love is not going to save you. You see, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, God himself in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. You see, before Christ, you're an enemy to the throne of God, and God has loves you enough that he's made provision for you to be restored back to him through his son Jesus, because God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And listen, that truth and that truth alone makes chaos in the world systems. They hate Jesus. They hate that truth. Why are people so intimidated by this phrase? If it's not a spiritual war. Oh, we better wake up. It's greater than anything of us. Anything. 
that we can ever, ever conceive. Tell them about Jesus. Why did he have to go to the cross? Why did this redemptive work, why was it needed? Because we're sinners. We're all sinners. We're all at war with the throne of God. And then the other lie to deal with, as I talked about it a few months ago, the greatest lie that the enemy's parading around is everyone's a child of God. Well, she's a child of God, he's a child of God, they're a child of God. Listen, you don't see that in the Bible. Know the word of God before you speak something that's not true. And you say, but wait a minute, aren't we all children of God? No, the only children of God are those who are born again. That's what the word of God says. The only ones engrafted into the family of God are those who are born again of the spirit of God. But the enemy has perverted the truth of from God's word. And say, okay, what's the truth of God's word? We're all created in the image of God. That's true. No matter who we are. But being created in his image is not being a child of God. And so church, we've got to wake up. It's going to keep getting harder and harder and harder as the days approach his return to live truth. But don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't turn from God. Don't fall aside. Don't fall asleep. Keep pressing in. Keep going. Keep moving forward. Keep advancing. Keep upholding truth. Love people. Serve people. Honor Christ. There is a way in which we are called to live. We ought to be excited about it. It's a hard life. But oh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I told you, once your eyes have been open, once you realize that light has pierced that darkness, the depths of your soul, and I've shared with you all before, like you ought to be, as the Bible says, understanding the value of your soul. Stop living out of your flesh and understand the worth, as Jesus says, of your soul. Because once you understand your soul, once you understand that's the depths of your being, you're not just going to easily give it away to anyone and to anything. Because it's meant for Christ. It's meant for eternity. Like I'm telling you, I hated Christianity. I hated the Bible. I was wrapped up with all the different occult and darkness that was out there that this world could possibly offer me. (laughs) But when the light of God pierced my life, it altered everything. I wasn't even looking for him. But he stepped in. As it is with you. You're never going to wake up one day and be like, oh, I want to know Jesus. No, no, no. You just being here today reflects the love of God drawing you to himself, that you would come to an understanding truly of who he is, that you would worship him with all that you have, and that you would feast in the fullness of what God has created for you to be. Last scripture for this part of our time together, Romans chapter 4. Again, scriptures 
to summarize what God has already accomplished to transfer, transform a sinner to a Christian. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 through 8. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous. And remember the definition of righteous. Right standing with God. Not because of yourself, but because of Christ. The light's about to go, by the way. (laughs) Um, But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work. Listen to this. But because of their faith in God, who forgives sinners? It's not about religious works. It's not, you're never going to gain acceptance into the kingdom of God by your religion. You're only being deceived by the greatest liar of all who twists and perverts the word of God to keep people enslaved and from God. But listen to this. But people are counted righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives Sinners. Again, I, I can't, ah, that just excites me so much. Do you understand the guilt that's been released from you? Do you understand the freedom that you have? Not because of anything of yourself, but because all Christ has done for you. You're not guilty any longer. You have been forgiven. You need to remind yourself. Get yourself in the mirror and begin to speak these truths over your life if you're truly a Christian. And if you're not, then cry out to God. And say, God, I don't know what's holding me back from giving everything to you. But Jesus, help me. That alone, he'll move. You're not manipulating him. You're just responding from what he's already started in you. I mean, you're forgiven. David, it goes on. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those who record, whose record the Lord, listen to this, cleared of sin. Amen. This was a murderer. David was a murderer. It was King David. He was an adulterer. He was a murderer. But yet the Bible says that he was still a man after God's own heart. David's life was one of repentance. When the prophet would come in and expose to David, as God gave the prophet the word to share with David, David heard it and then was reminded and repented like, oh, what have I done? What about us? See, we're not perfected until we are with him. But until then, we ought to be maturing. And we're not, we just don't take sin lightly because we understand the destructive nature of it. And we understand ultimately what it cost our God. He took upon the wrath that we deserved. And we ought not to treat it lightly because we want to dip our toe into what we crave and what we like and our attitudes and our wounds, and our insecurities, and all this other junk that makes us up out of our natural selves. And I don't make light of it. If you got issues with insecurities, if you got issues with trauma, if you got issues with things of your past, 
and you're tired of those vicious cycles, well, come and set some time up with me. Because I understand all that. From a young age, being sexually abused, the trauma and the, and the hell that I went through, the vicious cycle of confusion in my mind, the longing and the loneliness of my heart, the chaos that was inside this vessel (laughs) and was told since a young boy, God hated me. You understand what that does to someone? You understand what it does when someone, when Jesus reveals himself to me and then I step into a church that the pastor tells me I'm not welcomed. Because I will be used of the devil to pervert the men in the church. That could have struck really deep within me. It made me throw my hands up at God. But I knew that he began something in me because I wasn't looking for him. I mean, there I was on that couch with the pills in my hand to end my life. And Jesus spoke. He didn't have to. But he spoke, today you'll live. And in that moment, I wasn't looking for Jesus, but I knew it was Jesus. To the depths of my being, oh Jesus, that was my response. Someone who hated him, someone who had no desire for him. My first response was my hands went over my head. Oh Jesus, you're real. Because that presence that filled that room ain't nothing else I've ever chanted to the incense to meditated upon or anything gave me that presence. It was the first time in my life that all of a sudden I was known. And in being known, I recognize the depths of my sin. Because I knew no one had to tell me. I knew, oh, you're real and I'm filthy. Like, Ugh. And yet you're standing in this room with me and all you want to do is set me free. And that's what he does for us. So why do we live these weird Christian lives and these weird churches that, that there's no power? And what are we offering other people but our own chaos and drama and insecurities and desires and wants and look at me, look at me, look at me. And then we tell people, but I love Jesus. No, you don't. Like, do we understand? David, these are David's David's words. He understood what it meant to be forgiven, to be restored back to fellowship with God. Like, you don't want to trade that for anything or for anyone, you all. The Heidelberg Catechism is another tool. You say, Rob, it's a lot. And I keep telling you, I know it's a lot. <laughs> what time is it, Carrie? Uh, it's 12. But I want you to have these tools because you need to take them and learn how to utilize them. So the Heidelberg Catechism is a tool that I've shared at the beginning of this year with us and will continue until we are finished with it so that you can learn how to defend your faith. And so that you can be out there having spiritual conversations with other people. 
You should be intimidated by other people's beliefs. And right now, there is such, I can't keep telling you all this, there is such a need for spiritual conversations. Such a need. People are open to talk. But once you see that they shut down on your conversation of Jesus, don't yell at them, don't fight with them, respect them. You've done what you needed to do. You're not Holy Ghost Junior. You're not going to save them. But you plant the seed and you water it and you move on. Give them that much respect. You don't have to stand there and scream at them and fight with them. And if they're twisting scriptures, listen, you should be able to lay out a case. You should be able to understand truth. Not just at a surface level. Your surface Christianity isn't going to keep you. You're going to be swallowed up in all this craziness that's coming on this earth. You have to be rooted. That's what the Bible says. Your roots, you have to grow down deep into Christ. He didn't save you and take you out of this world. No, he saved you, removed your guilt, cleansed you completely, kept you here to go forth to be his hands and feet. And I love when he prays in the garden for us. Before his death, he prayed for you. He prayed for me. Look it up. It's there in the Bible. He prayed that we would be protected by the name that he was given. Do you understand the authority in which you have, if you're a child of God, to walk upright? And so you need to know, you need to have these tools to to equip you. So the Heidelberg Catechism, part three, we move on now to the Ten Commandments. It's the Lord's Day 34. If someone asks you, what is God's law? You should be able to answer. You get these in the notes, you can go through them, but that's here the answer. It's all scriptural based. God spoke all three words, the first commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. The second, you should make, you should not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children from, for the iniquity of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. But showing, God, I love this, showing love to the thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. The third commandment, you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. The fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. You should not do any work. You, your son or your daughter or your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in the sixth day, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The sixth commandment, you shall not murder. The seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. The eighth commandment, you shall not, you shall not steal. The ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The tenth commandment, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife 
or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That is God's law. Well, then how do these commandments, how are these commandments divided? Here's your answer. Into two tables. The first has four commandments teaching us how we ought to live in relation to God. The second has six commandments, teaching us what we owe our neighbor. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body. That's the first four commandments given. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Six, I'm sorry, yeah, six to ten is the rest of these. From the beginning it was spoken, it was fulfilled in Christ, and now we're called to go forth and to live in this understanding What does the Lord require in the first commandment? Oh, here's your answer. That I, not wanting to endanger my own salvation, avoid and shun all idolatry, sorcery, superstitious rites, and prayers to saints or to other creatures, that I rightly know the only true God, trust him alone, and look to God for every good thing, humbly and patiently and love, fear, and honor God with all of my heart. In short, that I give up anything rather than go against God's will in any way. And then a final question. What is idolatry? (laughs) Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in the word. Of God. The Heidelberg Catechism, again, a tool that will help you grow. I'm not interested in entertaining people for Jesus. I'm interested in shepherding people and seeing them grow in Christ so that they can go forth and make an impact the world in which Christ has them in. Rather it's their home, rather it's in their job, or rather it's just out on the streets in the community. That you're truly living a Christian life, you all. That it's not just all show and hype and lights and all of that other stuff. But the reality is, is the depths of your being is being renewed because of the power of God working in you by the Holy Spirit of God as you have come to salvation in Christ. In Christ. Go to 2 Kings. Last week, I shared with you in 2 Corinthians that the New Testament tells us the purpose of the Old Testament. It's to warn us. That's why we have the Old Testament. It's there to warn us. It's what the New Testament says. And yet we have biblical teachers telling people they don't need the Old Testament. How insane is that? You need the Old Testament. Because it warns you. It's a warning for those who are living in the last days. That's what the Word of God says. So last week, we saw the northern tribe Israel, God's people. God's people, who God delivered and brought them into the land that was promised to them. They are now taken captive and removed from the land. And I'm telling you now, 
That broke me when I was reading it. I mean, the reality, like, oh God. They had everything. And yet they rejected their God. And God turned them over to what they wanted. But we ended it on a good note. Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, now became the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is wiped out. They've been taken captive. But finally we have a king, King Hezekiah, who is a God-fearing king. And he, unlike the other kings that we heard, that, oh, they're God-fearing, but they didn't destroy the shrines and the other idols. No, no, Hezekiah came to power, and Hezekiah said, no, no, we're going to worship the Lord our God. And he went through Judah, and he began to tear down the shrines, tear down the poles, began to restore the worship to the living God. We pick up. Second Kings chapter 18 is where we're heading. Verse 13. Bear with me. You need to see this. Second Kings. And there's so much you're going to learn from this portion of Scripture. Especially if you're not in, in, in a season that your back is up against the wall and the enemy's breathing down your neck. If you're not in it now, oh, it's coming. And you say, well, why would you speak that over us? That's just the reality of life. We are living in a fallen world. And we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet, though that season may come, may we be able to stand and respond as Hezekiah has done. (laughs) And what Jesus has called us to. Trials, the Bible tells us trials are intended for a Christian to go through in order to mature them and grow them and make them dependent upon their God, not upon themselves or their circumstances. And we better learn that no matter what trial we face. Again, rather it's, uh, uh, you know, your job, rather it's your finances, rather it's your health, rather it's relationships, family, whatever. All of it's meant to produce something within you. A greater dependence upon Jesus. And so, listen, there's an enemy of your soul. You have the world system and you have your very own nature working against you. And there's some days you're going to feel like you just have the weight of everything on you. But praise God you all threw it. You say, well, you don't understand. No, no, you don't understand. I know what it's like to go through hard times. And I know that they're ahead of me. (laughs) But I don't look for them. I don't want to remain in them because I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus. Remember, I told you your position is to look up. Look up. Don't look out because you look out, you're going to see all the craziness. Look up. (laughs) And just keep moving forward. Keep gaining ground. The victory is yours because Christ is already victorious. Hezekiah knew something about the living God. He knew the God of Israel. He honored the God of Israel. Shouldn't the king of Judah be safe? I'm a Christian. I go to church. I do all the works. I pray a little prayer. 
And why is my life in chaos? Shouldn't it be perfect? Shouldn't it just be walking on clouds every day and singing the hallelujah chorus? No. That's the wrong image of Christianity. You've got to learn how to gear up, to suit up, and to march. King Hezekiah, we pick up chapter 18, verse 13. In the 14th year, King Hezekiah's reign, King, uh, King Seneca of Assyria came to attack the fortified towns of Judah and conquer them. His enemy, he's come to conquer them. The same enemy that conquered Israel. King Hezekiah sent the message to the king of Assyria at Lachish. I have done wrong. I will pay whatever tribute money you demand it if I'm sorry, demand if you only will withdraw. The king of Assyria then demanded a settlement of more than 11 tons of silver and 1 ton of gold. To gather this amount, King Hezekiah used all the silver stored in the Lord in the temple of the Lord and in the palace of treasury. Hezekiah even stripped the gold from the doors of the Lord's temple and from the doorpost he had, had overlaid with gold, and he gave it all to the king uh, to the Assyria king. Listen, not a wise move, King Hezekiah. O one who was dependent upon your God. He reacted out of his flesh. He reacted out of his fear. He took from his own resource. He, he, he gathered for himself what he had instead of depending upon the God in which he knew. And we're no different. The enemy is breathing down his back. The enemy is placing fear and confusion all around him, and he responds not honoring God. He responds to fear instead of responding to God. And in his response to fear, he gave in to it, and now he's just overreacting. And it's no different with us. <laughs> but we have to remember what fear is. False evidence appearing real. As a Christian, we're not called to live by fear. We're called to live by faith. And to have active faith in our life to be able to stand up in the times when the enemy is breathing down our back, when the enemy is threatening, I'm coming and I'm going to consume everything of yours. I'm going to take your family. I'm going to take your possessions. I'm going to take your health. I'm going to take your job. You're going to be withered down to nothing because you are nothing. That's how the enemy speaks. And if we're not daily growing in Christ, getting rooted in the Word, we can't use our sword to fight back. We can't pick up the shield to distinguish the darts that are being thrown at us. No, there's a way that we are called to live. King Hezekiah, at this moment, went the wrong way. So he gave in to the demands of the other king. He gave in in hopes that he and his and his country and Judah would be safe. Nevertheless, the king of Assyria sent his commander and chief, his field commander and his chief of staff from Lachish with a huge army to confront King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. Hezekiah just paid, gave him everything. See how the enemy responds? Ah, you're a fool if you keep cowering down 
to the enemy, to the world systems, and to the flesh. They always want more. They will strip you until you truly have nothing and that you are enslaved to them. But child of God, if you truly are a Christian, you are only to be a slave to Christ. Amen. A slave to righteous living. So that you can accomplish what God has purposed for you to do in this generation that you're living. So now this king sends an army to Judah. The Assyrians took a position besides the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where clothes is washed, cloth is washed. They summoned King Hezekiah. So now the city is surrounded. King Hezekiah has already gave them what the king of Assyria asked for. He's surrounded and now the army is demanding for King Hezekiah to show up. They summoned King Hezekiah, but the king sent those, these officials to meet with them. Elkelion, the son of Heliah, the palace administrator, Shibna, the court secretary, and Joah, son of Asap, the royal historian. So he sends these three advisors. Then the king's army's chief of staff told them to give this message to Hezekiah. Listen, if you hear anything, listen to how the enemy now is speaking to the king of Judah. Don't forget, the king of Judah remembers that the northern tribe Israel has just been wiped off. They've been taken captive. They're not there any longer. Judah's the remaining remnant of God's people. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that if he looks in his natural eyes that he says, there's no way out. And now listen to the report that the king, God's king, Hezekiah is going to hear from the enemy. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? This is a king, not God speaking. This is a king of Assyria speaking to the king of Judah, God's king. And the king of Assyria is mocking King Hezekiah's and Judah, their belief in their God. Oh, it's no different than what goes on today, you all. He says to him, who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? On Egypt? If you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. Oh, but perhaps you will say to me, we are trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who is in, was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars or dict and, and make everything in Judah and Jerusalem worship only at the altar here in Jerusalem? Listen to what he's saying. He's mocking what Hezekiah did to honor God. 
And as I said earlier, the enemy has nothing new. He always feeds doubts about God to your very depths of your being, to your mind, to confuse you about God. That's why you must know your God. He came into the garden, Eve doubted. Adam doubted. It has been from that on, from then on until Christ returns, that's how he maneuvers. In the spiritual realm, he brings doubt. So King Hezekiah, you did all of that for God, and where has he got you? What has he done for you, Hezekiah? And then the king goes on, the king of Assyria, the enemy. I tell you what, strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can find that many men to ride on them. With your tiny army, how can you think of challenging even the weakest contingent of my master's troops? Even with the help of Egypt chariots and charioteers, what's more, do you think we have invaded your land without the Lord's direction? The Lord himself said to us, attack this land and destroy it. Oh, listen, the enemy knows the the word of the Lord. And the, the Lord has used the king of Assyria... To clear out lands. He has used the king of Assyria to capture his people and bring them out of Israel as slaves. Not because God is a bad God. No, because God is a just God. If you don't want him, he'll turn you over to what you want. Don't blame God in the midst of your chaos. When God is not the one that you're turning to. That's just the reality. And so God will use what he wants to use in order to discipline his people. And the king of Syria knows this, and he's flaunting it. Like, Hezekiah, your God is using me. Just to stoke even more fear in the hearts of God's people. Then Elikam, son of Hilakiah, Sibna, and Joah, said to the Assyrian chief of staff, so <laughs> King Hezekiah's advisors look at the guy given this report from the king of Assyria. Please, please, speak to us in Aramaic, for we understand it well. Don't speak in Hebrew, for the people on the wall will hear. So these advisors were like, hey, 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 speak to us in this tongue that we understand. You keep speaking in our language, you're going to provoke a, a, a revolt. Like, it's going to strike the hearts of the people that are listening, and they're going to turn against King Hezekiah. Well, that's what the king of Assyria is hoping for. But the chief's commander of the staff replied, Do you think my master sent this message only to you and your master? He wants all the people to hear it. For when we put this city under siege, they will suffer along with you. They will be so hungry and thirsty that they will eat their own dung and drink their own urine. This is Judah, a very small group. I mean, compared to this army that's there before them, they've got nothing and they want to provoke fear now. This is what your life's going to end up being. We didn't come here just for the king. We're here to tell your people, surrender. Surrender to me. Then the chiefs of staff stood up and shouted in Hebrew, 
to the people of the wall. Look how quick these advisors turn. They're now provoked by fear, so now they want to release fear even more upon the people. Listen to the words. Listen to this message from the great king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. He will never be able to rescue you from my power. Don't let him fool you, oh God help us, into trusting in the Lord and in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely rescue us. This city will never fall in the hands of the Assyrian king. Don't listen to Hezekiah. These are the terms the king of Assyria is offering. Make peace with me. Open the gates and come out. Then each of you, oh goodness, listen to this promise. Then each of you can continue eating from your own grapevine and fig tree and drinking from your own well. Then I will arrange to take you to another land like this one. Remember what God did for Israel when he brought them out of Egypt? He said, I'm taking you to a land. The king of Assyria is now perverting what the word of God says. I would take you to a land of grain and of new wine, bread and vineyards, olive groves and honey. Choose life instead of death. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he tries to mislead you by saying the Lord will rescue us. Have the gods of any nation ever um, ever saved their people from the king of Assyria? What happened to the gods of Hamath and Arpad? And what happened, and what about the gods of Sephiria, Hana, and Iba? Did any god rescue Samaria from my power? What god of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So, what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? And I love this. But the people were silent and did not utter a word because Hezekiah had commanded them, don't answer him. Mm. Sometimes that's what y'all just need to do. Stop talking to the enemy. Stop responding to the enemy. Respond only to God, you all. Then Elakim, son of Heliaka, the palace administrator, Sibna and the court secretary, and Joah, a son of Asaph, the royal historian, went back to Hezekiah. They tore their clothes in, des- in despair. They sent and, and they went in to see the king and told him what the Assyrian chief of staff had said. When King Hezekiah heard their report, he tore his clothes and put on burlap. It's a sign of repentance. And went into the temple of the Lord. Finally, Hezekiah is remembering who his God is. Amen. His first response was his flesh. It was an error. But this response... No, he's right where he needs to be. He's repentive. He goes into the temple of the Lord. He's not surrendering to the enemy. He's not laying prostrate before the enemy and, and, and giving in. No, no. He knows who he's to surrender to, and it's to God and God alone. So he enters in, and oh God, perk up and listen to how he prays. And then and then he sent Elohim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the court secretary, and the leading priest, all dressed in burlap, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Oh, we're introduced to the prophet Isaiah. They told him, this is what the king Hezekiah says. Today is a day of trouble, insults and disgrace. 
It is like when a child is ready to be born, but the mother has no strength to deliver the baby. But perhaps the Lord your God has heard the Assyrian chief of staff sent by the king to defy the living God and will punish him for his words. Oh, pray for those of us who are left. After King Hezekiah's official delivered the king's message to Isaiah, the prophet replied, Say to your master, here's the word of the Lord, you all. This is what the Lord says. Do not be disturbed by this blasphemous speech against me from the Assyrian king's messenger. Listen, I myself will move against him and the king will receive a message that he is needed at home. So he will return to his land where I will have him killed with a sword. Meanwhile, the Assyrian chief of staff left Jerusalem and went to consult the king of Assyria who had left Lasha and was, attacked, was attacking Libra. Soon after, King Shinnachrib received word that King Taraka of Ethiopia was leading an army to fight against him. Before leaving to meet the attack, he sent messengers back to Hezekiah in Jerusalem with this message. So again, one final warning from the enemy. The message is for King Hezekiah of Judah. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you with promises that Jerusalem will not be captured by the king of Assyria. You know perfectly well what the king of Assyria have, has, have done whenever they have gone. They have completely destroyed everyone who stood in their way. Why should you be any different? Have the gods of other nations rescued them? Such nations, and he lists all of them there. He says, my predecessors destroyed them all. What happened to the king of Hamath and the king of Arpad? What happened to the kings? And so again, he's, he's pushing back on Hezekiah. You're not going to win. I'm in charge. I have destroyed other kingdoms and I'm coming for yours. After Hezekiah received the letter from the messenger and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread out before the Lord. And listen to this. And Hezekiah prayed this prayer before the Lord. O Lord, God of Israel, you are enthroned between the mighty cherubim. You alone are God and all the kingdoms of the earth. You are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. Bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to sinner's words of defiance against the living God. It is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all, only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. Now, O Lord, our God, rescue us from his power. Then all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Listen. Oh, your prayer life should be growing, <laughs> maturing. <laughs> King Hezekiah surrendered to God, offered up a prayer, and is trusting in God. Then Isaiah, son of Amos, sent this message to the king, to Hezekiah. Oh, listen to how the Lord responds. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer 
circle that, highlight that. Like whenever you hear that in the Bible, that should move you. God hears our prayers. (laughs) He says, I heard your prayer about the king of Assyria. And the Lord has spoken this word against him. This is what the Lord is speaking to now the king Assyria, the enemy. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and laughs at you. The daughter of Jerusalem shakes her head in derision as you flee. Whom have you been defying and ridiculing? Against whom did you raise your voice? At whom did you look with much haughty eyes? It was the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers, you have defiled the Lord. You have said, with my many chariots, I have conquered the highest mountains. Yes, the remote peaks of Lebanon. I have cut down the tallest cedars and its finest cypress trees. I have reached its farthest corners and explored its deepest fords. I have dug wells in many foreign lands and refreshed myself with their water. With the sole of my foot, I stopped up all the rivers of Egypt. But have you not heard? So God says to this king of Assyria, yeah, this is what you've done. But have you not heard? I decided this long ago. This is God, you all. And now I'm making it happen. I planned for you to crush fortified cities into heaps of rubble. That is why their people have so little power and are so frightened and confused. They are as weak as grass and easily trampled as tender green shoots. They are like grass sprouting on housetops. Scorched before it can grow lush and tall. But I know you well. Where you stay and where you come and go. I know the way you have raged against me. And because of your raging against me and your arrogance, which I have heard for myself, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth. I will make you return by the same road on which you came. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Here is the proof that what I say is true. This year you will not only eat what grows up by itself, and next year you will, you will eat what springs up from that, but in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them, and you will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. And you who are left in Judah, who have escaped the ravages of the siege, will put roots down in your own soil and will grow up and flourish for a remnant. Circle that. Highlight that. For a remnant of my people will spread out from Jerusalem. See, God always has a group of people in every generation that honors him. A group of survivors from Mount Zion. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. And this is what the Lord says about king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. 
They will not march outside its gates with their shields, nor build banks of earth against its walls. The king will return to his own country by the same road on which he came. He will not enter this city, says the Lord, for my honor and for the sake of my servant David, I defend, I will defend this city and protect it. That night, the angel of the Lord went out to the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. The king, <laughs> the king Sinarib of Assyria, broke camp. Oh, he had a lot of talk, but now he breaks camp and he returns his own to his own land. He went home to his capital of Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nishroch, his sons came in with their swords and killed him. This is the king that was all talk. And then finally his other son takes power of Assyria. Listen, you all. The devil wants nothing more than to keep you down. But you have got to trust in the Lord your God. God will be all that God is because God can't change. He's God. He's God. And yet though the weapon may be forged against you, it won't prosper. See, a lot of us don't want the weapon forged against us. No, no, no. Trials have to be forged against us. We've got to, you know, valleys and mountaintops. But in any season, it's all about growing. It's all about maturing. It's all about getting up and pressing on to what God has for you and trusting in him with your very being. There are times in, this, in your life where everything around you is utter darkness. But cling to Christ, you all. He's your hope. He's your life. He is your deliverer. He is all that you need. He's a great God. Go to Acts. We're wrapping up. Don't have much more. But we got to go look at the book of Acts. Acts 21. Just 1 through 16. The church is growing now. <laughs> Paul is out there ministering. All these other men and women are out there. They're in, they're in their generation after the church was birthed. There's such persecution taking place that they're scattered everywhere. Paul knows he has to go to Jerusalem. Paul, as we heard last week, by the Holy Spirit, is being told, you're going to go, you're going to go through it. There's a lot of pain, a lot of suffering ahead of you. But it's for the Lord's work. It's for the Lord's glory. So Paul isn't intimidated by what the Spirit of God is telling him. Like he understands what he is up against. He understands that his life is not his own. So when we read his words inspired by the Holy Spirit and how he lived his life, remember he once was a murderer. He once murdered Christians. He was on his way to round up more Christians when Jesus knocked him off of his horse. He came to Christ at a radical transformation. He was a religious man. He was the Pharisees of the Pharisees. But God radically transformed him. And God is using him now to plant churches. He's going into these wicked cities. 
at the direction of the Holy Spirit, preaching the Word of God, people are coming to Christ from all walks of life, and churches are forming. Communities of believers are, are forming all over the land. And last week, he met with the leaders of Ephesus, from the town of Ephesus, where the book of Ephesians was from. And remember what he tells them. He says, I'll, I'll never see you again. But I want to encourage you. And not only do I want to encourage you, I want to warn you. There's going to be some of you that are going to end up destroying the flock. Because you're going to rise up and you're going to make it about you. And you're only going to want a following of your own instead of following, pointing people to Jesus. And it's no different. As we're warned all in the New Testament, until Christ returns, the church is under assault. But we've got to know how to war. We've got to know how to stand. We've got to know how to stand Therefore, then. That's why I love in the book of Ephesians when it tells you, after you've done all you know to do, Stand. And stand therefore then and the assurance of who your God is. See, people need to start seeing that Christians have the assurance of who their God is and confidence in their God. Not some weak-willed God. He's God today, but he's not God tomorrow. He's God this hour, but he's not God next hour when I get the phone call. No, he's God. We know who he is. We know his character. And if you don't know him, then you all know him especially if you're claiming to be one of this. We pick up Acts 21, verse 1 through 16. After saying farewell to the Ephesians elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to Patera. There we boarded a ship sailing to Phoenicia. We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed at the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where the ship was to unload its cargo. We went ashore, found the local believers, listen to what they did, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. When we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Then we went abroad, and they returned home. The next stop, after leaving Tyre, um, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived from Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, and bound his own feet and hands with it. Then he said, The Holy Spirit declares, So shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But he said, why are you weeping? This is what Paul says. You're breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be, a, to be jailed in Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, 
The Lord's will be done. <laughs> After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem. Some believers from Caesarea accompanied us, and they took us to the home of Manasseh, a man originally from Cyprus and one of the earlier believers. See, the Holy Spirit has already equipped and prepared Paul for what's ahead of him. The Holy Spirit is ministering to the body, to the congregation. They don't know how to respond but to say, Paul, don't go. Paul, don't go. You're going to die. You're going to go through it. Paul, no, no, don't go. Paul says, listen, I'm already content with what's ahead for me. With what's ahead for me. And I think of our brothers and sisters overseas who each and every single morning they have to be content with what's ahead for them. You see, when they got up for church this morning, it wasn't, uh, well, should I go? Should I not go? Should I this or should I that? No, they have to travel far just to get to their community of believers. Underground, out in the woods, in abandoned buildings. They have to look at each other before they leave. And you've heard me tell this testimony. And they have to say to each other, whatever happens, you may not make it home tonight. I may not make it back. But don't deny Jesus. We live for him. No matter what happens to me, if they take me, they begin to mutilate my body. They begin to rape me. Do not deny Jesus. This is how they're being raised up over there. Don't deny him. You witness for him. You serve him and you love him and you love others. And we're gathering together and we're going. This day is a different location, but we're going to, and we're going to be among the community of believers. And listen, when they go, Norma would testify because she's been over there. When they get together, oh, they're loving Jesus because they, they've already considered the cost, you all. They know at any moment they could be dragged out of there and beheaded. And here we are on the western side, just doing whatever. <laughs> we got to wake up, you all. We got to wake up. I didn't forget my life and leave my life just to get part of an organized church. What kind of craziness and foolishness would that be? No, no, the living God stepped in. As he did with me, so he does with us all. And when you get a revelation of who he is, your life behind you is not appealing any longer. Amen. Yeah. What was I feasting off all that dead stuff for? You are the living word. You are the bread of life. I want only you, Jesus. And that's why Paul could say he was content. I know what's ahead for me. And I'm okay. Because it's for the glory of God. Psalm 149, only nine verses. We're almost at the finish of Psalm, the book of Psalms. We're just working through the Bible, you all. As I've said to you, I don't want to entertain you. Listen, beginning of my ministry, that's what I did. I went from church to church, stage from stage, performed, kicked, shut, jive, gathered the offering. And the Lord told me one night when I was on my way to, to dedicate a church, don't you get up in that pulpit and preach. But God, everyone's there. <laughs> I got the special evangelist coming in to anoint this church. <laughs> What am I going to say to the pastor? Like, oh, what do you mean don't get up in that pulpit and preach? That the weight of the Lord was upon me. Do not open up your mouth. You're making a mockery of me. 
I didn't call you for this. You see, they already labeled me. I was supposed to be the next big thing on TBN years ago. I was supposed to be the next big one that they were going to put on the platforms. Shuck and jive, dance, shout, carry on. I remember going to that pastor's office. And I can't get up and speak. I can't go in that pulpit. And he began to weep. And he says, you're not the one supposed to be speaking. They forced me for you to come. He goes, my brother-in-law was always the one that was supposed to do this service. He was sitting out there. And let me tell you how the Spirit of God moved that night. It was amazing. And it broke me. And I had to break ties from all those people that were in my ear. Telling me I was the next best thing that was about to hit the Christian world. And it humbled me. And it's kept me humble to this very day. Because I don't want it about show you all. I danced, I shucked, I jived in the world. I can put on a good show for you. <laughs> but that's not who I am. And I won't be that way for God. All we have is His Word. That's all we have. To encourage each other. To edify each other. And to build each other up. To live in this newness of life. And so when we think of the book of Psalms, I've always encouraged you to read them. These men are so transparent in their writings. They went to some deep depression, some deep anxiety and panic, some sickness and disease. They faced enemies all around them. And what hope we get from them is that they kept their eyes on Jesus. You could, you could, hear, you could hear it and you could see them. For what? They, and how they write, how they point you back to Jesus. And oh, that's how your life should be when you're going through it. If you don't pin in a journal, your life itself should be an expression of what is pinned in your heart. Is your faith and your commitment to God. Not that He works everything out. Everything's perfect. No, but He just is God in my life. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing His praises in the assembly of the faithful. O Israel, rejoice in your Maker. O people of Jerusalem, exalt in your King. Praise His name with dancing, accompanying with tambourine and harp. For the Lord delights in His people. O highlight that, circle that. He delights in His people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let the faithful rejoice that He honors them. Let them sing for joy and they lie on their, as they lie on their beds. Let the praises of God be in their mouths and a sharp sword in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples. To blind their kings, I'm sorry, to bind their kings with shackles and their leaders with iron chains to execute the judgment written against them. This is the glorious privilege of his faithful ones. Praise the Lord. And all the people of God should praise the Lord. The last verse I'm going to give you is Proverbs 18, verse 8. One nugget of wisdom I'm leaving you. (laughs) Rumors are dainty morsels. That sink deep into one's heart. 
oh, we should be careful in how we speak and what we're saying. Because there is a way in which we ought to live. And that way is to honor our king. I'm going to close this with this last song of worship. You'll join me in this. And then I'll close us in prayer. I want to say thank you.